Hello, my name is Elizabeth Oldfield, and this is The Sacred Reflections. The Sacred is normally a fortnightly podcast about our deepest values, those who shape our public conversations, and how we can all engage better across our differences. This mini-series on alternative weeks is different from our usual long-form interviews and a chance to be a bit more topical and revisit some former guests in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm really enjoying firstly checking that they're all right and then reflecting with them about what this crisis is revealing about their own and our collective sacred values. In this reflection, I spoke to Shadi Hamid, who is a political scientist and senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in their project on US relations with the Islamic world in the Centre for Middle East Policy, which is in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, I spoke to Shadi before the death of George Floyd and the resulting wave of Black Lives Matter protests, so we didn't get a chance to speak about that, although I would love to go back and discuss that at a later date. I hope you enjoy listening. Shadi, it's really nice to see you. I'd love to hear what does your lockdown life look like? Are you okay? What's the general feeling in DC at the moment uh, in the pandemic? We've experienced partial lockdown, but I don't think it's, I don't think we can say that we've experienced full lockdown the way that folks in, say, um, France or Spain or Italy or even India or Israel um, have experienced. And I've been reading more about those other experiences. And it's striking me more and more that we as Americans, for whatever reason, well, actually, for a certain reason, you know, our political culture matters. And that seems to be an impediment to doing full on stay at home Um, and even in blue states. So D.C., obviously, we have a a Democratic mayor. And if you look at blue states like um, California, they're not doing very strict lockdowns and there's already pressure to reopen. California is already starting to to move in that direction. So I think that I'm thinking more and more about the stickiness of culture, that there is perhaps something distinctive about us as Americans. I don't want to be fatalistic about it and say that we can't change or that we can't be different. It's just to say that it's difficult for us to be different that quickly. I really want to dig into that. But first, I'm going to go back and play you your um, the clip of what you said when I spoke to you about a year and a half ago about what your sacred values were then. And I want you to be thinking, is that still what are my deep principles and what are my sacred values? And maybe has this time clarified anything or changed anything? Shadi, it is so lovely to speak to you today and I'm going to kick off with our big juicy question, which you as someone who's studied religion and has studied conflict possibly might be more comfortable with. And it's about your sacred values, these deep principles that shape you and drive you and that if you if those are put under pressure, you feel pretty compromised and you might react in ways that are not purely rational. So having had a bit of time to reflect on it, what would be your guess about what your sacred values are? Sure. So this is a tough question, and I have been thinking about it a bit, and you did give me advance warning. So, well, first of all, I would say that in in kind of everyday political life, I have basically two non-negotiables, and I don't know if that's quite the same thing as sacredness, but they 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 are very important to me, and I try to to live by them in terms of how I engage in the public sphere. The, the first is democracy and respect, specifically respect for democratic outcomes. Because of my 
experiences living in the Middle East and studying the Middle East, that has become increasingly important to me. This idea that even if people we find personally threatening or people we hate win free and fair elections, we have to kind of suck it up and accept those outcomes and be really faithful to that principle that people have the right to make the wrong choice. People have the right to make stupid and even dangerous choices as long as they do so through a peaceful democratic process. And this leads me to my sort of second non-negotiable in political life, which is which is nonviolence or i.e. a political a peaceful political participation. So I'm very I think that I'm a very accepting and tolerant person as long like whatever falls within uh within that, however much I might not like it personally, I I try to go out of my way to respect it and accept it. So in other words, if someone has ideas or discusses ideas publicly that I find to be really bad as long as they're doing so within a peaceful democratic process i i tend to kind of err on the side of like you know let's let's allow that and engage with it and not just dismiss it out of hand or say these people are evil or deplorable or whatever else it might be so uh it's interesting to me what you said about what's possible in different political cultures and it fascinates me that you have got this mass experiment within one country of different states taking quite different approaches, I think, to how we deal with the crisis and what that reveals. But as you were listening to yourself speak uh, in a different time and different world with different reference points, uh, what did it make you think about? Well, first of all, it occurs to me that I'm not really used to listening to myself all that much, despite the fact that I do a lot of these types of things. So it's always interesting, and especially like a version of myself that's you know more than a year old. Um, so, you know, I think... That's certainly the first part of that is is still very relevant in the sense that we're still dealing with this same fundamental issue in the U.S. that Donald Trump was democratically elected and even more so today than perhaps last year, because now people are dying because of coronavirus and there's questions of mishandling and neglect, certainly on the part of Trump. So this is a matter of life and death. So the person who we, not me, but we as Americans collectively voted for, um, you know, our, some of our lives are affected by him. And that, that is a real test of democratic faith and respecting democratic outcomes. I mean, at this point, we don't really have a choice, but um, we have someone who's making, I would argue, um, at least to some extent, dangerous decisions. And we as Americans have to find ways to live with that. Luckily, we have a federalist structure. So I, I don't think when we're talking about responses to COVID, I don't, I, I'm starting to think more and more that we can't speak of the US as one unified state in the sense that we might talk about France's response or you know um, Sweden's response or whatever it might be. We have a variety of of widely varying responses by by state. If you look at what Florida is doing versus Mississippi versus California, New York, it is really quite different. So in that sense, there's almost a sense of relief that as bad as Trump is, he we're not entirely dependent on him. We don't have to have this deference to one centralized leader. 
we can make our own decisions at the local level and even not just at the at the state level but also you know the mayors of individual cities can also act differently from each other so um in that sense that's our strength as americans but it also creates this problem that we have this sort of in between federalism where um trump doesn't have full jurisdiction but also states don't have the capacity or the legitimacy to do very drastic actions so that's part of the reason i think that individual states haven't done very aggressive enforced lockdowns because we wouldn't would we really respect that as americans you know i'm living in dc if the dc local authorities do like a semi authoritarian intense lockdown i don't really see that as the place of my city or if i was living in a state like you know i'm i'm originally you know born and raised in pennsylvania would i be comfortable if the governor of pennsylvania was doing that that's not how i view my my state of pennsylvania you know what i mean so that again that gets into questions of political culture that we are a product of our societies as americans and we have a particular view as to what states versus the federal government should be doing it is making me think about kind of collective sacred values and just how deep the concept the symbol the value of of freedom goes in the in the us political character even the freedom to you know spread disease is it's a really interesting yeah, yeah. thing and even it feels a little bit like what we're seeing is a, a working model of how the uk political culture sits halfway between a more european culture because we're definitely um there's definitely a bit more resistance than there than there has been in in France and Spain, and the idea of doing a complete lockdown is a bit unthinkable. I mean, we're, I mean, we're somewhere I wouldn't have thought we would be two months later. So it shows we can go further than we think. But that already there's a kind of grumbling and uh, people breaking things, and a sense that actually the UK tradition is very much policing by consent, and if that that we just don't have that uh, part of our history that you do see more. Um, of just these are the rules and you obey them and and right now state power is the important things that we but we definitely aren't as far as america where it feels like even quite what seem quite partial restrictions on individual li liberty in some states are causing i mean are they causing a huge amount of kickback or is it the only news we get from america is the anti-lockdown protesters because that's how the um the news cycle works well so i would say that there's actually like a, a quite vigorous debate in the us um even among people i know and otherwise reasonable people i i follow on twitter about about questions of individual liberty and what the limits of this state are and that's actually something i i love about american political culture just the the vibrancy of debate that even when we're in this crisis we're still disagreeing about first principles which is it's sort of good and bad at the same time um i love that about us but is that the best posture to have when you're trying to develop a, an effective collective response to a deadly virus which also i think makes me think that is it possible to have the great things about who we are as americans without having the negative trade-offs i i don't know if we can really have it both ways so in some sense again i don't want to sound fatalistic about it but i don't know 
if we can be very different than we are in this respect, because, you know, and there was this, um, there was this really famous image that people were sharing on TV, a scene in Florida where people were going back to the beaches and then right behind the reporter, there was this guy dressed up in a grim reaper costume, all in black with a, with a sickle. And it was a very striking visual. And the reporter was pretty chill about it. He, this guy was there to protest people coming back to the beaches. And he was saying, you're all going to die, that kind of thing. So here you have these juxtaposed images of people in swimsuits, like going into the water. And here's this guy dressed up all in black. And people were saying that, look, we're a mess. See, we're so chaotic as Americans. But I saw that image and I'm like, that to me is what we're about. But there is also this dark side to it, quite literally in this case. So, you know, in that sense, I'm torn and I'm trying to work through some of these conflicting ideas in my own head because um, I want us to have a better response to COVID but I also don't want that to come at the cost of the things that I hold dear about who we are. You wrote a beautiful piece in The Atlantic, um, which the title made me think it would be purely about the kind of possibility for uh, systematic reform, but it's actually much more of a meditation on the the way this crisis is revealing our values more generally. And you said that you personally have been spending more time in in prayer and meditation and reading books and acknowledging the value of the those small, smaller circles of attachment around friends and about around family and um, and even around nation. Do you do you you know leaving aside perhaps the kind of political culture? Do you have a sense of um, how more broadly this time might change America? Maybe even change you? Well, I can speak for myself. So I mean, I um, I feel that I have been retreating more into the private and personal over these past two months, and I, I quite like that. Um, and it's been in some ways quite refreshing to have that moment, to have more silence, to not feel that I have to be always going out and doing things that, you know, in normal life, it's very easy to get stuck in this perpetual movement of, of bodies and interaction and socializing and all of this. And it be, it becomes very easy to lose yourself in that. And I think that one thing that we should all take advantage of, you know, while we're in lockdown, however long that lasts, is a chance to do something we otherwise wouldn't do. And I don't know if we'll ever have this moment again. So in that sense, it's this kind of unusual experiment where we can find other ways of being. And I'm really trying to be in the moment, in, in the present, to just realize that however dark and 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 scary everything is around us in this moment there there is an opportunity for something special uh, on a personal level and i think in that sense i've become less political i i sort of have less tolerance for partisan debates i never had a huge tolerance for them to start with i suppose but um even even more so now i just feel like there's this smallness of politics and um and, you know, I've I've sort of been like just to give, you know, one example, uh, you know, I've been watching a lot of Swedish existentialist cinema, specifically the films of Igmar Bergman. I've watched, I think, like 11 or 12 of his films so far in lockdown. So it's almost like a sense of punishment in that regard, you know, but you know, but I would have never done that in my real life. So um 
And I think that we'll look back at this moment, and I guess it depends how long it lasts and whether we go back into other periods of lockdown. Like, let's say we have an uptick in the virus in the fall or, or this coming winter, we might have other other situations where we're stuck. And, you know, I think that if people aren't really, it, it would be sad if people don't realize that they can, that there is at least this positive side of how we can kind of reorient our lives if we really try. Um, this part of what triggered this podcast was a sense of a very divisive public conversation and an attempt to kind of build empathy across divides. And another thing that came through in your article was, may I say, somewhat uncharacteristic hopefulness about the possibility of um, a reduction in uh, political divides, that, 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 that sense of a common enemy might that, that it might be possible for it to unite countries. What do you think is required for that to happen in, an, in a more enduring way than just the kind of collective effervescence of uh, immediate reaction to crisis? Yeah, well, looking back at my piece, I think that's the part that I might have been a bit wrong about. Maybe I was a little bit uh, overly optimistic. Certainly in, in, in the case of the US, um, I think that I was speaking more normatively about I was sort of injecting what I was hoping would happen and maybe stating that as something that was likely to happen. And I think those two are diverging um, increasingly, what I hope and what will actually be. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I thought for a moment we could be a little bit more, more of this like national solidarity. I think certainly in other countries, there, there is a, a greater sense of that national solidarity um, you know, in countries like Italy and Spain and in Israel and so on. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I've realized that I have a pretty dark view of human nature, but it's sort of always in tension or even in battle with this more hopeful, optimistic side about me where I never really think that it's going to be as bad as it could be. So when I hear about like worst case scenarios or American democracy is going to die and Trump will destroy us and all of that, my instinct is to say, no, no, we're better than that. We're resilient. I think actually American democracy has proven to be quite resilient despite Trump. Um, so I am hopeful in the sense that I believe in America. So that that's definitely still the case. I'm I'm a very big believer in the American idea. Um, I, I I love us as a people. Maybe not in like maybe not individuals if we get into like details about people in particular places. But um, I do believe in us. And I, I'm sad to see that, you know, sort of my more and more of my compatriots on the the center left and the left. I sense this this really this really deep self doubt and losing faith and almost this longing to not be American. That if only we could be more like all these other countries, even if only we could be more like China. And I hear that and I find it mind boggling. And I think that's something we're going to see more of. This really, the you know, I don't I don't want to. I don't want to say it's a lack of patriotism. Well, I mean, it's fine. People don't have to be like particularly patriotic, but I would like Americans to believe in at least some conception of of Americanness and to not lose sight of that. But I think that there's going to be a really interesting and, and even problematic debate about who we are 
and whether there's something fundamentally wrong with American culture and even the American idea and even so-called American exceptionalism. And, you know, that could be maybe that's a debate that we have to have more of. Shadi Hamid, thank you so much for talking to me on The Sacred Reflections. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I was really interested in what Shadi was saying about the different approaches to the pandemic, reflecting different political cultures, different political values. Before we started, he was saying that he thinks at least where he is, people are in fact gathering in small groups quite regularly, five to seven people, but just doing it quietly. And that full obedience to a enforced lockdown like France or Spain has had, even in somewhere like Washington, D.C., would feel almost impossible for the American uh, public character. I'm so intrigued by the way this time is revealing our individual and our national characters. You know, does it bring out our authoritarian or our libertarian tendencies? I genuinely don't know what it means for our deepest pre-existing divisions. I've been reading how in the field of disaster sociology, scholars say that society's resilience to crisis is really linked to how divided they were before that crisis hit. So I think maybe this pandemic will be a test of how deep the divisions that we thought we had really were. Were they in fact more superficial than we thought? I also wonder what this all means for the public's fear. Like Shadi, I've really wanted to spend more time locally and privately, you know, reflecting on my own and with much smaller groups of people. And so being locked into the global news has just seemed less important. So I wonder if we might see a shrinkage of public engagement, a withdrawal um, from the public sphere in favour of smaller, closer pursuits. Here's a voice memo sent in by a listener. I've been um, musing on your question in one of your episodes about whether there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge, and if so, what it is. And I've always been curious about the fact that in scripture, wisdom is personified as she, um, as, as a person, a feminine person female person. And um, for me, I think there is something interesting about uh, wisdom seems to be around when we enter into relationship, when we encounter the the ragged beauty of life in all the sort of grit and um, complexity of it. Uh, and I, um, yeah, sort of, as opposed to maybe slightly abstract, uh, rational, uh, logic sort of um, space, which which I would associate more with maybe knowledge. Um, and uh, I wrote a poem in response to these musings. So I'm just going to read that out to you now. Wisdom I've met. She beckons me, calling not in reasoned prose, but in sensible flesh. Poetry of the body, tugging at heartstrings, alive in my imaginings, inhabiting the spaces between me and you, skin and skin, soil and soul of unshod foot, life and death. Wisdom waits for encounter, relishing the courage of reaching out into Ren's song, a lover's touch, live image stumbled upon in sleep, the spaces where we meet and miss each other, those we love and lose, and the bitter mingling of prayer and grief. Wisdom, unafraid of edges, sharp and soft, speaks through all those spaces where we fear that we are lost, courting conversations that expose our porousness drawing us into borderlands, bordering forests, because the edges are the fecund places where knowledge falters and wisdom graces.
Thank you so much for listening to The Sacred Reflections. Thank you those who are sending in voice memos and a massive thank you if you have rated or reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media channels, or even sent a particular episode to a friend who you think might be interested. It all really helps spread the word about it. Sacred is a project of the think tank Theos and you can find more about our work at theosthinktank.co.uk.